Escape to Summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra in on-trend hues like green, citron, and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charged the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league, starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's clip streaming June 4th only on Hulu. Hi, everyone. This is Rachel Zoe with the Climbing in Heels podcast. We recently sat down with a few recipients of the Botox Cosmetic, Onobotulinum Toxin A, and iFund Women Grants at South by Southwest, thanks to Botox Cosmetic. Take a listen to our conversation. It's so good. What advice would you give to upcoming like female entrepreneurs or just already sort of established trying to survive still? I literally joke with my staff and, and we always are saying, oh, you want to be an entrepreneur? You want to be broke all the time and working 24-7? Ooh. Yeah, but look so, at you. Yeah, right? But I'm here. So the advice that I give is and I coined this, and I believe I said it on my TED Talk, that your passion follows you. You cannot follow your passion. So my advice is to let your passion follow you, get out of your own way, and never stop and never settle. This episode was brought to you by Botox Cosmetic. Learn more at BotoxCosmetic.com and talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, call 877 877- Three five one zero three zero zero, and follow the Climbing in Heels podcast on iHeartRadio or subscribe where you listen to your podcast. For the love, there is nothing worse than shaving your legs. A total game changer to my beauty routine is Nair. That is right, the OG hair removal. Nair saves me so much time, and the best part is no nicks, no cuts, and you will have smooth skin for days. You have to make sure to check out Nair's new sensational shower creams and body creams. My favorite shower cream is the Moroccan Argan Oil and Orange Blossom. The scent creates the ultimate pampering experience. Smell for yourself. Try the reformulated Nair body and shower creams available at retailers nationwide and online. This is Teddy Teapot with Teddy Mellencamp. Hi guys, welcome back to this week's Teddy Teapot. You guys asked and we are delivering. The number one topic you guys wanted me to discuss was eating disorders. So it's a sensitive topic, but it's also something I truly believe talking about helps you continue to heal and working on. Um, I had... I never really had a great relationship with food until after my son was born. So that's about five years ago. Um, not about five years. I know how old my son is, guys. 
He's five and a half. So <laughs> that's how many years ago. That's when All In by Teddy was formed. But leading back to even when I was a child, I started riding horses from a very young age. And I remember when I was about 10 years old, um, somebody said to me, oh, you should you, you need to switch your underwear. You need to wear a thong because you can see your underwear line through your riding pants. For those of you who don't know, if you compete... Um, as an equestrian, you are wearing skin tight beige pants. And that's when I started becoming aware of my body um, in a way that wasn't just like a regular kid, in my opinion. And I started realizing that food was something I wanted to control. And I noticed that my sister and I were developing differently. Like I would just start to gain a little bit of weight. And my sister was always tiny and she could kind of eat whatever. And, you know, I just, that wasn't the case for me. And I just remember being aware of it so much younger than I would have thought that it, it would happen. So around the age of probably seventh or eighth grade is when I started creating an unhealthy relationship with food. And it became something where I will eat enough to get by, but I'm not feeding myself the proper nutrition to do it well. So I would be at a horse show all day long and have something like two Diet Dr. Peppers and two string cheese and maybe an apple. And I was like, that's good, good enough. And I'm winning. So awesome. And people are noticing that I look different and this is a win-win. And it became sort of this evil, like reward slash I started feeling like pride. And when people would say to me, you doing okay? Like you look all right, you know, as I got older and then it became something that I couldn't keep up with. So there would be years where I would really limit my food and then I'd kind of be like, I'm sick of this. And then I would go the other direction. And that was kind of my entire high school life. And it really became around you know, how can I hide it or who are my friends that I can kind of talk to about this and we can all do it together. And it just, it became an obsession. And, you know, it wasn't to the point where I was hospitalized or anything like that. It was just to the point that it consumed a large part of my thinking. And I started revolving my good days around how little I could eat. And if I still won in the competition that day, then it was a good day. Or if I felt too weak and I made a mistake, then it was a bad day. And I needed to start, I started calculating my every move. So that was kind of my youth. And then I, at 17, I had won a big national and I'd had kind of my, my best year yet riding horses. And I had gotten a college scholarship to go riding and I told my parents, you know what? I'm done. I don't want to ride anymore. I need a break. I don't want to live in Hilton Head. I want to branch out. I want to do, you know, do different things. Uh, you know, I'll still go to college if you want, but I'm not going under the riding scholarship. Well, newsflash, no colleges wanted me if I wasn't going to ride horses. So I 
didn't get into any of the colleges that I wanted to go to. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to move to California. My parents said, great, you can go. We'll help you move across the country, but we're not supporting you once you get there. You need to, we're not financially supporting you once you get there. We need you to go and, um, you know, we'll help you get a car out there and stuff like that. And, uh, but once you're on your feet, you need to pay your own rent, that type of thing. And I remember moving to Los Angeles, 17, and feeling so completely lost and overwhelmed and not knowing anyone. I started in the CAA mailroom and everybody was like Harvard graduates and blah, blah, blah. You know, and I was this 17-year-old. And within the first year of moving to California, I gained over 80 pounds. And it was complete emotional eating. I wasn't binging. Like I wasn't going and hiding it. I just was constantly grazing and I was constantly eating whether I was hungry or not. And then I would go home at night and eat. And I remember um, coming to coming home for Thanksgiving and my parents not really knowing what to say, just like, Hey, you good? And me being so angry, so angry that they could even ask such a question. Like, why, what? You don't like me how I am? Take me or leave me. And that's not what they were asking. I was putting all of my own insecurities and own, you know, what I would, self-sabotaging behavior. I was putting it on them. And, you know, it wasn't until years and years later that I started really understanding what I was doing. So I was like that for you know, probably five years and, or eight years or whatever it was. And then I, um, started riding horses again and I went right back to my old habits that I, I had as a kid, as a, you know, growing up, I just started eating very little, um, exercising a ton, riding horses a ton and the weight kind of came off. So once again, I was not, having a healthy relationship with food or my body image, but I was getting results and compliments. So I was like, okay, you know what? This is great. And I meet my husband and I remember on about our third date, I took him on a, like a birthday dinner. And you know, when you're at a birthday dinner and there's like 30 people there and a guy sat kind of near us. And I had never mentioned my past issues with food to my husband. And there was a guy sitting there and I said, hi, I'm Teddy, blah, blah, blah. And this is my friend Edwin. And he goes, Teddy, ugh, I knew a Teddy that worked at CAA. She was this fat And I remember just like my heart sinking and feeling like, oh my God, one, I can't believe he said that. And two, what is Edwin going to think? And three, I've never told him, you know, it was like this deep, dirty secret that I thought I was having to hide. And I looked at Edwin, I'm like, ah, no, I have no idea. And, uh, like, and it just became one of those things. I would go home for the holidays with Edwin and I would have my sister hide photos of us because I didn't want him to know. Um, I don't, I don't know. I think I was ashamed that I was so out of control and felt so lost and, you know, these things were happening and realizing that either whether it's eating too little or eating way too much, I really had no type of relationship with myself or any honesty when it comes to how I'm feeling and what I was actually doing to my body with these crazy fad diets or starvation diets or fasting or overeating or becoming a pizza hut VIP. 
sad that that's a thing. Um, but once I had my kids, everything kind of shifted for me. So when I was trying to get pregnant with Slate, I had, you know, obviously put on a, a bunch of weight, um, but that was fine. That's, you know, I, I was happy to do it. I, that's, I wasn't eating the world's best when I was pregnant with her, but I was, you know, ha I had a relatively healthy pregnancy and then I didn't lose the weight after Slate. And then when I got pregnant with Cruz, I had so much trouble getting pregnant as you guys have have heard and as I've shared and I was on all these IVF and blood thinners and all of these things and gained even more weight. So the, by the time that Cruz was born and, you know, we were past like the first six months, I realized here I am in a place where I have no idea how to teach my family how to eat, how to live because I didn't know how to do it myself. I, um, and that's the day I changed my life and I started learning and educating myself on good things to fuel your body on exercise and being active, but not working out to punish yourself for the things that you've eaten. And it became my life's mission to do this and being able to talk about this is what's kept me healthy. Because when I wasn't able to talk about it and it was everybody else's fault or somebody was judging me or I was judging myself, I couldn't get through it. You know, oftentimes people talk about an eating disorder and they're like, oh, you know, you just move right on from it. You know, I, I, I had treatment and then I was better. It's not. It's something, it's an ongoing battle that is forever within you. But if you're open with yourself, if you're open with others, then you can grow and you can change and you can start to find the positives and you can start to find the good things about food, the nutritious things that you could be eating, the things that really fuel your body, the different color foods, how to prep your kitchen, how to prep yourself for success. And yeah, so that's really why I'm so passionate about this because it's something that, you know, until my son was born, I never... I never had a handle on. And you know what? I still won't say I have a hundred percent handle on it because it's something that I work at every single day. So I'm super excited today. We have guests from all over the spectrum. We have Jessica Clark, who's been open about binging and purging. We have Jackie Goldschneider. She's on Real Housewives of New Jersey, who has been open with her battle with anorexia. And then we also have Christy Morell, who's a nutritionist and registered dietitian. She is a sports dietitian at USC and for the LA Kings. So stay tuned for that. And um, we're going to come right back with Jessica Clark to share her story with us. You like to watch the new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump. Join Lisa and her hand-selected staff at Chateau Rosabelle, a glamorous estate in the French countryside, as they live, work, and play together 24-7. Vanderpump Villa is where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. 
Don't miss the new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. Season five promises new horizons for the entire Kardashian clan. And if you're looking for steamy streams, check out Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise. The sizzling new reality show set on the Caribbean island of Grand Cayman, where the rich come to play. But be warned, it's a small island and secrets don't stay secret for long. So come check out what's new on Hulu this month. It's streaming now and it's waiting for you on Hulu. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Hi, now we're on with Jessica Clark. How are you, Jessica? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I appreciate you for coming on and sharing your story. I was just talking a little bit about mine, and I was saying the biggest thing for me has been being open and vulnerable and sharing, and that's been the one of the main factors in feeling healthy myself versus when I was kind of hiding and in that place in my life. And I was curious if you'd be open to kind of sharing your story with our listeners, and then we can kind of dig into some questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I totally agree with that. I think a lot of the healing that I've experienced and a lot of kind of seeing the purpose in my story has come from sharing it. So I definitely agree with that. Um, So I, in high school, I was a super competitive athlete. I Decided I wanted to run track and cross country in college. And so um, my junior and senior year, I was on a super strict eating plan. I would literally have nightmares before races about, like, eating a cookie or having a brownie or something like that. I would wake up sweating and crying. And um, it was really – it was weird. And I didn't realize it was weird because I was surrounded by – other athletes that kind of were doing the same thing. Um, So that kind of started this unhealthy relationship with food. And then once I got to college and I was running track and cross country competitively, um, so I'm like, I'm 5'1". I'm a little human. And I was running with girls that were 5'8 and tall and lean and just were built very differently from me. And so it kind of got to this place where um, it became like a real issue. And I would starve myself all day long. So I would look good in the spandex and the sports bras and running. And then at nighttime, I would just like, it was like an out of body almost of just like eating anything in sight. And then I would purge and then be ready for practice the next morning and it became the cycle and slowly my body kind of started to wear down and I started to lose my hair I got diagnosed with osteoporosis when I was 20 years old which is like not normal but I just didn't have like any sort of bone density like nothing I kept getting stress fractures and getting hurt and that um, made me a horrible runner which put more pressure on me and one morning I woke up and I looked in the mirror and like my skin was dull. My hair was gone. My body looked terrible because, um, when usually when you have an eating disorder or disordered eating, it becomes cyclical when you start to store everything as fat because your body is in fight or flight mode. And so I had no muscle definition and it was just horrible. So, um, that day I went and I quit track and then, um, went and I dropped out of the honors college at my school and then I drove home to my parents' house and I told them. So from then on, it's kind of been, I guess, four years of, um, I would say I was sick for four years like that and then four years of healing. And that's kind of like the overview of my story. So jumping right out at me, you said in high school you started on an eating plan. Did you put yourself on this plan or did your coach and what was the plan? It was my coach 
And um, it's, I mean, usually I feel like, especially for athletes, these plans that you're on sound really good. So it was kind of like no processed food, like eating clean. I think that that, I have quote. I say that with quotes, but eating clean can become very extreme. And that's kind of been like a key word, I feel like, especially nowadays that pops up. Um, so I think I took it to an extreme. I think it could have been good, but then I started to think that if I got off the plan that I was on, I wouldn't be as good of an athlete. And so I was putting a lot of pressure and kind of idolizing this idea of eating cleanly and took it to an unhealthy level. At what point in your, as you said, in your sickness, did you realize that you were sick? Um, what's crazy is even when I was diagnosed by a doctor with osteoporosis, I still did not think I had a problem and only I knew what I was doing to my body. And I had people telling me like, you don't look good. You look sick. And I still was like, no, this is what I need to be doing. This is like how I'm going to be a good athlete or I'm going to look good or I'm going to how many years compared in, to these other girls? How many years into this did you find out that you had osteoporosis? Four. Four. And mm-hmm. how how did you go about? I mean, I I talked a little bit about with me. I I would I would eat. I wasn't. I wouldn't binge. I would eat as little as I could and see what I could manage. When mm-hmm. I was in high school, you know, growing up, because I rode, um, I was an equestrian, so I was always competing. And so I started to learn yeah. the method of what I could do and still perform. But mine never got mm-hmm. to that point because then I switched mine to then being like a complete emotional eater and having this huge chip on my shoulder when it came to anything. And food was my answer to everything. Um mm-hmm. You, you said you you hit it for a while, and at night you would almost like black black out. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. think you were really it, hiding it? And what was kind of that process for you? Yeah, I definitely think I was hiding it because I would eat all my meals alone. I wouldn't go out to eat. Um, I lived with other girls, but I would eat in my room. And um, kind of like after class or tutoring that day, I would just go and I knew that what I was doing wasn't healthy and I wouldn't feel good afterwards, but it literally there, it was this experience of like, I can't stop myself. That's why I would say like blacking out or out of body. It just, it didn't feel like me. It was like this whole other thing that you almost can't control. And I think a lot of it was stress and pressure and um, kind of when you get to this place of putting so much pressure on yourself, I don't know if you felt this, but Sometimes, like, your food or your workout regimen feels like the only thing you can control when a lot of other things are out of your control. And so I think that it was almost like my striving to control something in my life. Right. I, I Mine was similar. I think for me it was about I wanted to be perfect. And mm-hmm. I took the negative and made that my positive. Like yeah. anytime somebody was like, are you okay? You, you lost a bunch of weight or this happened. I would almost double down on the bad behavior. Like mm-hmm. I'm doing it right. I'm Isn't doing that, it right. 
crazy? Yes. Okay. This is what I tell a lot of people that are like, I think my friend has an eating disorder. I don't know what to do or whatever. Never say that they look good and never say that they look bad because any comment about their body is going to trigger them to do something. Yeah. You're going to have some sort of that I lost weight. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I'm doing something right. Yeah, it becomes this obsession that takes over everything else. And what would you say for our listeners who don't know if they have an eating disorder? What would you say, like, a red flag is other than, you know, being diagnosed by a doctor? Because a lot of people aren't going to see a doctor because they don't want to know. Or if your friend Mm -hmm. is. Yeah, I think um, it is tricky because... um, you don't want to say something is something it's not, and you also don't want to ignore something that you're doing. So I think there are eating disorders and there's disordered eating, and you could read about it all day long. But I would say the biggest thing to look for is, like, does the idea of food stress you out, and are you unwilling to eat with others? I think those are the two things that um, when I – saw a therapist, which is my other big thing, is if you do feel that way, always seek professional help. Don't like, I mean, you can reach out to someone that you think is an influencer or whatever, but always seek a professional. I think that's the biggest thing I advice I can give, Um, even if you're not sure, especially if you're not sure. But if food stresses you out and if you're scared to eat with others, I would just take a step back and really look at why are you eating and um, why does it stress you out and why can't you eat with another person? Um, A phrase that has stuck with me actually that has been really helpful is I was watching an Anthony Bourdain episode um, and he was in Greece and a woman um, that was there said, I want to walk away from a meal and not tell you what I ate, but who I ate with. And that's kind of changed like my relationship with food and with meals is make it in enjoyable experience for sure that that's exact honestly when you just said that i was like wow that is something i'm always saying i'm like if you're going into Mm -hmm. the holidays and you're revolving it solely around what you can and can't eat and it's not about about the people you're spending it with or friends or family then you're focusing on the wrong things yes and it can become such an obsession and i i think it's hard because so oftentimes we want to put it on, we want to label it on something. Like I could say it's because I rode horses and I wanted to win and I looked best in beige skin type pants if I looked a certain way, (laughs) but I'm really curious. And what the actual, like, is this something that starts with us way before that? Way before. And I don't know and we're going to have a like a nutrition like a professional on that's going to speak to us on that but i think oftentimes we hear about it with athletes and really strong personalities because then they become more open about discussing it but so much mm-hmm. of the time it's happening everywhere and yes, I, and i i don't think that friends or parents know how to talk to us about it and I also feel like I remember being on the, the other end of it and I had no patience for anybody's opinion. Yeah. When that, whenever someone would like pull me aside and tell me what they thought or how they thought I looked or something like that, I, it made me angry. 
and so it's, it's almost like you have to come to a place of realization on your own. And I think that what can bring that about is talking about it more, just people that have gone through it being more open about it. Because eventually there's going to be a girl that hears you and they're like, I experienced that too. And that's not healthy. And I probably need to change, but it has to, I think it has to come from an internal place because whenever someone externally would approach me, I would be like, this is so annoying. Like you don't, you don't understand why I'm doing this. I'm doing this so I can run better. Like you've never run before, so you don't get it. So I think it does. I think that's why sharing your story is so important because someone's going to hear it and it's going to click. Yeah. And you realize you're not alone and I, you're mm-hmm. significantly younger than I am. So I didn't grow up in the world of like social media where everybody's like face tuning their bodies to become something mm-hmm. that doesn't actually even exist in this world. And yeah. did you find any extra pressure or difference because there was so much online at the time like you could look you can go on Instagram and you see people posing in bathing suits every single day some are them Mm -hmm. and some aren't really them you see them in real life and you're like what the yep I definitely think that that was like a subconscious thing like I said mine kind of strove from running so I think seeing runners online was more and like seeing how successful they were and they looked like that was more of a trigger for me. But I would say in recovery, it was really important for me to not look at social media and things online because you can get to that place of like, I'm never going to look like that. Like this is hopeless or whatever. So I don't know. That wasn't a direct trigger for me. Um, But I know it is for other people. And I do think there's a subconscious element there too. It's interesting that you say that about runners and, how you start to look at other runners. I read this book. It's called Fast Girl. Susie Favor wrote it. And it is truly incredible. Her, She had, you know, developed a complete eating disorder all revolved around how all of the different runners looked. And I think so oftentimes oh, wow. we are comparing ourselves to others instead of looking at ourselves and actually loving ourselves. And that's the hardest mm-hmm. thing about this world that we live in now of comparison. Oh, yeah. I mean, comparison is a thief of joy. I feel like people say that all the time, but it is so true. It really is. If if I didn't compare myself to anybody else, then I would probably be so content. But, but seeing what everyone else is doing, definitely, and how everyone else looks and having something that you don't have, and it really takes away from the joy that you should be feeling in that moment. And what would you say some of the tools you could give our listeners if they're hearing this and they're relating to your story? What could you, what advice mm-hmm. could you give them? My biggest piece is seek professional help. Even if you don't think that you have a full-on eating disorder or anything, um, there's no shame in going to a therapist at all. I think it's the best thing ever. Um, either a therapist or a dietitian, I think it's huge. I think being intentional to spend time with other people face-to-face and putting your phone down and really like have a three hour long dinner with your best friends at your house and have no phones and just enjoy the people around you rather than looking to the internet and influencers and all these things that you're seeing every day. I think that's huge. And then really just listening to your body, like slowing down and not being in a rush and listening to what your body needs that day. It might be a glass of water instead of another snack or it might be another snack or 
whatever. But I don't think that we pay enough attention to what our bodies are saying. And usually our bodies are right. Yeah, that's true. And it's day by day. You know, I think yes. if, if you wake up and and also a big thing for me has been preparing myself for things that are and especially now that I'm pregnant, but preparing myself with healthy foods that make me and my baby feel good. And yes. there's no shame in bringing snacks with you. Yeah, I mean, for sure, because the worst thing you I could, you know, I used to would be like I would be hangry and then I would make decisions based on, you know, I need this right this second, blah, 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 as opposed to being like, oh, wow, no, I have all of these perfectly great snacks that are going to fuel me and make me feel good and then not set off red flags of some past issues. Um, yes. No, definitely. Well, I cannot thank you enough for talking to us. And how do people reach out to you if they want to speak to you and kind of get some more tools? Um, they can message me on Instagram. My Instagram is Jess Clark underscore and Clark has an E at the end, but I'm really bad at checking my messages. So on your profile, there's the email button and I check my email more often and that's really me too. So emailing there from my Instagram. Perfect. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Bye. So, guys, you got to tune in after the break because we have Jackie Goldschneider coming on. She is a Real Housewife of New Jersey who has openly struggled with her anorexia, and she is willing to share her story with us. You like to watch the new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump. Join Lisa and her hand-selected staff at Chateau Rosabelle, a glamorous estate in the French countryside, as they live, work, and play together 24-7. Vanderpump Villa is where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. Don't miss the new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. Season five promises new horizons for the entire Kardashian clan. And if you're looking for steamy streams, check out Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise. The sizzling new reality show set on the Caribbean island of Grand Cayman, where the rich come to play. But be warned, it's a small island and secrets don't stay secret for long. So come check out what's new on Hulu this month. It's streaming now and it's waiting for you on Hulu. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. 
I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Jackie. How are you? Hey, Penny. How are you? Good, thank you. Can you pronounce your last name for me? I'm a hot mess express always. <laughs> Goldschneider. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. I just got off the phone with Jessica Clark, who had been talking to us about binging and purging and it's starting at kind of a young age because she had set herself on an eating plan and it was all due to wanting a runner's body and being a successful runner. And I think that oftentimes it is linked to sports, but it's also so much more. And I would love to hear kind of your background and your story. I think it would help so many of our listeners. Yeah, I think mine, so I never binged and purged. I never had um, bulimia. I I was anorexic and um, mine wasn't linked to sports. Mine was just having no concept of healthy eating. I mean, it's not really something my parents taught me. Um, so mine was that I got very heavy and then suddenly like the impulse to lose weight was like, like I had, was like do or die. Like I had to get all the weight off because suddenly I felt so terrible about myself. What age was and this? So I just took the quick kid. Um, I was 16 years old. Okay. Sorry to cut you off. Continue on. Sorry. Yeah, no, no problem. And so I think I just, I got involved with some really unhealthy eating habits and I would, my weight would fluctuate constantly. And then I, I figured out that really the less I ate, the more I was going to lose. And I just, once that started in my mid twenties, 
I just couldn't let go of it. And it, it really, it takes you on a really downward spiral where you're just afraid of putting any weight back and, you know, got really bad for me. And what were, when did you start realizing that it was taking a toll on your life? Um, I think when some of my habits, so I, I went through a really tough time for about 10 years. And I think um, when some of my habits began um, taking on a life of their own, when I couldn't, when I couldn't stop myself from, you know, bringing a food scale to a restaurant or from um, little things like uh, just, just terrible habits that I had when I couldn't stop them, when I couldn't talk myself out of them, then I knew that I was, that it was becoming dangerous. And my weight started getting very low. Um, I had almost, I had like 8% body fat, little things. I lost my period. I, I never got it back. I, you know, I ended up with fertility problems, um, a lot of things. I I realized along the way that it was bad and I still couldn't stop. Yeah. And do you think that, I mean, for our listeners out there that aren't sure if they're developing, you know, a, a sickness, so some of the red flags for you were you were bringing a scale to restaurants. Yeah, I mean period. there was a lot of red flags. I knew I knew that the way I was eating wasn't wasn't healthy. I mean if you're ever if you ever feel compelled to really restrict yourself so much, it's not a natural way to lose weight. I would say if it's not a lifestyle, then it's probably not a good idea. I think. Um, I think you know whether or not something is healthy for you. I mean, I was substituting regular food with diet substitutes, like any chance I could. Um, if it's if it's too artificial, if it's, you know, I would say if you if you have a question about it, really try to see a nutritionist. You know, because they'll tell you whether or not it's a healthy habit. Um, you know, I wish I had done that sooner. And what kind of led you to the place that you finally did? Um. I, somebody referred me to, I was really bad and, uh, somebody had referred me to, um, a nutritionist who specialized in eating disorders and they said, just see her one time. And if you don't, if you don't like her, then you don't have to go back. And the minute I saw her, she, she understood what I was going through and and I knew that she could be the person to help me, but when she told me the ways that I was behaving that were impacting my children, then I was like, that's it. When I saw, so I was weighing my children's food too. Oh, wow. um, and it was just like all encompassing. Like I couldn't, I couldn't stop controlling what they were eating also. And once I realized that I was doing that, I said, this is done. I have to be done. It's so crazy that you said that because that was, it was, it took me to get pregnant to finally change my life. To say I can't, right. I, mean, I can't live yeah. like this anymore. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have to educate myself. I have to start healing because now I have kids and I can't possibly let them see what I'm doing to myself on a daily basis. Right, and that's that's the thing. You have to get to the place where you have that breakthrough. You know, like people can't force it on you, um, which is terrible because a lot of a lot of people want to help you when you're struggling. And it really has to be something that you want to do for yourself. I mean, that's what I found for myself. And this is a controversial topic, but in your opinion, does your eating disorder go away? Oh, no. 
definitely yeah. not. I mean, I'm rec- I consider myself recovered, but I still have lingering, like terrible anxiety over food sometimes, which is so strange because I really don't have anxiety and I consider myself confident and like I have everything under control. But when it comes to food and eating, I get like, I get the urge to restrict myself more than I need to. Well, it's interesting that you use the word control because that's the one of the biggest triggers when it comes to, yes. you know, it's something we can control. Um, yep, definitely. So what, when you're feeling when you're feeling it coming back or you're feeling like you're in a place where your, your anxiety is high because of it, what are some of the tools that you do to combat it now? Um, well, I, first I remind myself that it, that my children are watching me and I have a daughter. I mean, I have three boys and they watch me too, but I have a daughter and I don't want her to experience any of this. Um, I also, you know, in those moments, then I remind myself that like what I went through was such torture and I can never do that again. So even if I skip a meal today, I'm not going to be able to go back to what I was because it wasn't a life. It was not a life. All I thought about was food. I mean, my wedding, all I thought about was what I was eating or wasn't eating. I mean, how terrible to spend your wedding like that, you know? So I, I just remind myself that like, it's not worth it. I'm not going to go back to that. I could never go back to that. So you know, you talk yourself out of it, but it's hard. It's still hard. I still have a problem when I step on the scale and I'm a pound heavier or two pounds heavier. It's hard. And what would you say to our listeners out there that have a loved one, like your husband at your wedding? Like, do you think he was aware of that? How, what's the best way to support yeah. a loved one if they're going through this? You know, my husband, I feel bad because I, he had no idea what to do with me. And he would always tell me how beautiful I was and like suggest we share something. And I always turned it away. Um, I think it's a lot to put on your loved ones to expect them to know what to do. But for a loved one who does want to help, I would suggest, you know, don't give up and and keep trying to get uh, the person who's struggling to see somebody professional, Um, be it a therapist or a nutritionist who specializes in eating disorders. Um, Don't try to do it yourself. You know, don't try to tell them to just eat. It doesn't really work like that. But I would I would really try to take them to see somebody who specializes in this. And Because that I mean, that's the same exact thing Jessica said as well. And that's how I feel. If, if you're struggling, if if you know that you need to seek professional help, there's you don't win an award for for grin and bearing it. And yeah, the absolutely. repercussions are huge. I, I um, also am curious. Do you think that your kids because it happened at the beginning, do you think they have any idea or? No, I don't because I stopped, I started eating again when they were, they were pretty little. So they were, um, I have two sets of twins. So my older ones were four, my, my babies were two. So I don't think they remember any of it. Um, and I make a real show of making sure they see me, you know, share things with them and eat like, heavy food. You know, I also make them see me, you know, be healthy and they see mommy and daddy exercise almost every day. Um, so they know, they know healthy. They don't just see me eating crap. You know, they, we teach them healthy habits and we make sure they're always, you know, active and physical. And, you know, my goal isn't just to show them that I eat, it's to show them how to, you know, be healthy. So they don't ever have to go through the struggle that I went through. I know. I, I mean, I, of course, 
think the same way, you know, like I want to show my kids as much balance as I possibly can. I try to, we try to do active things together because we live in the world now where kids want to get on iPads or, you know, social media or Nintendo switch or whatever the new thing is. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like, no, let's go out. And I'm not saying like, let's go run up, like run. I'm like, let's go play soccer. Let's have a cartwheel competition or whatever it may be so that we're doing active things as a family. Yeah. And it doesn't become a punishment. I mean, it's really important to show them both. I mean, they say that obesity, the obesity epidemic right now is because kids don't go outside anymore. Yeah. And do you think, just kind of in closing, do you think there's one trigger that really hits you that then you have to really, like, dig into? Or do you think that, or it just comes up randomly? Like, does it come from stress or being busy? Um, No, I would say I'm most triggered by the scale, which is why I really try to stay off of it now. I used to weigh myself every single day. And if I was, if I, like, strayed more than, like, a half pound from what I was, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. And now I probably weigh myself three times a year. It, I try to go b- more by my clothing um, because I just get, it just makes me a little crazy. So when I see numbers on the scale, that, that triggers me. Um, so I try to stay away from that. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. You, you learn what your triggers are. You learn what works for you, what doesn't. And then you, you know, I think even us being able to have this conversation is something that didn't happen 10 years ago. Yeah, no, absolutely. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you for, for calling and for letting me, you know, have this opportunity. It was great talking to you. Great talking to you too. Okay. Bye. I'm looking forward to bringing Christy on because there are so many of us who are struggling with our relationships with food, but we don't realize, are we binging and purging? Um, Is it anorexia? Is it body dysmorphia? Is it self-hate? Am I emotional eating? What's going on? So I I think having her lay it all out for us and give us some tools um, is a great way for our listeners to connect and also figure out what support groups they should be reaching out to. You like to watch the new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump. Join Lisa and her hand-selected staff at Chateau Rosabelle, a glamorous estate in the French countryside as they live, work, and play together 24-7. Vanderpump Villa is where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. Don't miss the new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. Season five promises new horizons for the entire Kardashian clan. And if you're looking for steamy streams, check out Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise. The sizzling new reality show set on the Caribbean island of Grand Cayman, where the rich come to play. But be warned, it's a small island and secrets don't stay secret for long. So come check out what's new on Hulu this month. It's streaming now and it's waiting for you on Hulu. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, 
the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, we're on with Christy Morrell. She is a registered dietitian. She's also a sports dietitian at the at USC and for the LA Kings. So we're so happy to pick your brain. Thank you so much. Thank you. No, I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. So earlier on in this episode, we had on somebody who had a history of binging and purging and then somebody who on and off has had an active anorexia disorder and for the people listening who don't understand the difference on all these eating disorders can you kind of Mm -hmm. explain them and then also the effects they have on our body long term sure i mean there there are many different types and you can start with anorexia obviously it's starving the body so it's not giving your body and your brain enough nutrients 
And I mean, I've been doing the eating disorder work for almost 20 years now. And I will say that there are long term effects. For example, I had an anorexic client who I was seeing in her teens and she made a full recovery, which is awesome. And but she was walking down a flight of stairs and missed her step and then literally broke her hip. And she was only at that time, I think, 22. So the, the challenge is when you're young and you develop an eating disorder, your bones and your body it just doesn't grow properly. And you can have a lot of long-term effects with possibly getting pregnant or having very brittle bones. And, you know, your hair may never grow the way that it should have or, um, you know, your, your skin. And there's so many different effects that way. So the restriction is probably the most dangerous because you can you can die and um, when you don't give your body enough food it, it pulls from your organs and which is why some anorexics who passed away will, will die of heart attacks because of that. So that's the most severe um, and at that point they're in in treatment in a hospital or getting the type of help that they need. Um, but they're all types of restriction. I mean, you can still be functioning and be anorexic. Um, there are plenty, unfortunately, I see that a lot in LA because everybody tries to be a lot leaner than probably what their body set point should be. So they're sort of in a state of restriction, um, an obsessive, compulsive, thinking about it all the time. So that's another whole kind of area of restriction. And then binge eating is um, somebody who could binge but not necessarily purge. And so they would just have a binge eating disorder or they're not doing anything to counteract the binging, but they may restrict all day, which is what I see often, and then trying to be good, quote-unquote, or trying to diet, but then not able to sustain that and then come up, come home at night and binge and eat, you know, three or 4,000 calories. Um and then the cycle starts all over, and then they get up in the morning, and they try to be good, and then they restrict. So that's, that's, a, that's a common cycle I see often. And then, of course, bulimia is somebody who binges and purges, but not always. Like, some people will not necessarily binge and then purge. You could have somebody who just is terrifying, terrified of gaining weight, so they may just eat a normal-sized meal, but don't want to keep that in them, so then they'll purge that. So that's another whole level. And then the other one is orthorexia, which is an obsession with eating healthy. Um, so that one's really interesting because it's, it's people who they'll eat, but they only will eat things with no processed sugar and only certain ingredients and are over-the-top healthy. And I think, again, that one is very common to get away with in LA because people are almost praised for eating healthy. And I think that in itself is actually kind of dangerous because um, we're almost like, oh my gosh, you have so much self-control, you're so great. But really what they are is completely obsessed and taken over by looking at ingredients and watching everything they put in their body. So all of these disorders are a very, like, they're just not present in life. They're very controlled and obsessed and thinking about all of that all the time. And that's also another level of danger to that too. And do you think there's a root cause of this happening? And do you think the root cause can change by disorder? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's so many. I wouldn't say there's one in particular root cause. There's so many different levels. But I would say from my experience of being in LA specifically with all the young kids that I see, because I also specialize in adolescents, 
adolescents. And I think that the, the main issue is this constant pressure of looking good and eating healthy, like over the top healthy. And, um, and the parents, I think a lot of the young kids that I see are very much like that. You know, you can exercise healthily and you can eat healthily, but when you are cutting out things and, and exercising obsessively and talking about it, then that young child, whether it's a boy or a girl, because I definitely have some boys in my practice now too, see that and then they get attached to that type of eating and lifestyle. And that's how it, I feel it affects the younger the younger kids. And I would say with my teenagers that I see, it's very much so the Instagram world his has has impacted the way they feel about their bodies, how they should be eating, that they're not eating clean enough or they're not exercising as much or we don't have, they may not have those abs like so-and-so has on Instagram. So I think there are many, many different levels to this. Um, and I think that it's just, I don't see where it's getting better. And I think that's where it's a little frustrating um, being in this practice. So what would you say the best, so I have little kids and I have, you know, consistently had issues surrounding food and body image until after I had my kids. And the biggest thing for me and why I decided I need to actively work on changing my life and I created a business from it and all types of things because I'm so passionate about it is because I want my kids to have a healthy relationship with food. So I want to make sure that I'm doing the right things. And I, you know, something that we do in our house is we try to do active things together, but I'm not like saying, Hey, you ate that. So now you got to go run around. I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, I, we try to do family hikes together. We play sports. We do things that are activities. Um, and then when we're in the house, we all, you know, we eat healthy foods, but if we're out to dinner, everybody picks what they want to eat. But what would mm -hmm. you say kind of the best ground rules for having your family kind of follow so you're not leading your kids into some of the same issues that you've once had? Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's a great question because I, I do think, and I get this asked a lot by parents, first and foremost, it's creating a healthy relationship yourself with food, which you're doing. So it's the dynamic around food that there's no like not bad, this is good kind of scenario. Um, I think eating together as a family, which I see a lot missing, and I get that. I mean, kids are in sports, parents are busy, but when you can, eating together as a family is also role modeling what is healthy, what is normal, how everybody eats. Not that the, I see a lot of kids who dad eats one thing, the mom eats one thing. Everybody's like, you know, the mom will eat steamed spinach and, you know, egg whites and the dad's eating. It's just that's very disordered. So trying to eat in a more unified way, I think is very important. And then having conversations about it. You know, you can say, obviously, when you're birthday party today, you don't need to be having, you know, something after lunch since I know you're going to go to the birthday party and probably have cake or something. That That's okay to have this conversation, but help them understand why. Not that you're saying, you better go to this birthday party then and have nothing because you already had lemonade with lunch. Like, that's not useful. It's it's not getting mad at them. It's really engaging them and helping them because at the end of the day, they're going to not always be beside you, and they're going to have to make right decisions. And so if you can educate them on why, you know, how we create balance. Like, you know what? You already had pizza and french fries yesterday, so we're going to try to do something a little bit different today. Let's try not to have, you know what I mean? And if you help them understand it's balance, 
that I think is incredibly beneficial for young kids because I think they can understand like, yeah, that doesn't really feel good when I eat fried food every day. So I'm going to add in something grilled, you know, because yesterday I ate a bunch of, you know, fried food or whatever. So I think it's, it's talking with your kids, educating them on the why and balance is really. And I know for my son, he, he really loves, like, if I'm like, you know, spinach is going to make you strong or this chicken, you know, because if it was up to him, he would eat like want processed cheese at every meal. (laughs) Like he'd be like, can I have macaroni and cheese for breakfast? And uh, for lunch, can I have a grilled cheese? You know, like he just loves all of that type of things. But the second that I make it fun and I'm like, well, you know. Popeye (laughs) loves spinach because it made his muscles really big. He's like, Mom, can I have a shake with spinach? It's so so important, especially being, you know, sports dietitian too. I I talk a lot about, you know, the nutrients that your body needs to grow strong, to, you know, maximize your health, whatever, or your, um, yeah, maximize your health, but also grow as tall as you were born to to be, right? So we all have a set point of where we're supposed to be height-wise, but, if you undernourish yourself and you're not doing the right proper things like that, that can technically stunt growth. So yes, you want to make sure that you're incorporating fruits and vegetables and lots of high nutrient dense foods and explaining them why, you know, the muscle and, and being strong. And I always talk about health, like it's no fun on a big soccer game to be sick. So it's important to get a lot of antioxidants into your body. So you can hopefully, you know, not get as sick as, as other kids. Um, so I think that's important too. And then getting them involved in cooking. You know, I have this whole conversation with parents and their lunches. You know, their kids will come home for lunch and not eat their lunches. I, so like, that well, happens to me sometimes. But if, when they pick, they pick like not lunch. They pick like 54 snacks and they're like, this seems like a good choice. And I'm like, you're not this. You can't have raisins. And right. (laughs) Right, right, right. So it's really a struggle. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's not easy. And there's not a one way of doing this. Like every family has to kind of figure out what works for them. But if you sit down and you're like, okay, we got to like have a sense of carbohydrates. Where's that? Where's your sense of protein? Where's your food? Where's your vegetable? It might look a little you know, decompartmentalize like in a, in a snack type of situation. But I think if all the components are there, you're fine. It may not look like a traditional sandwich, carrot sticks and fruit or something, but you want them to make sure that they're eating something. So that's why I'm getting the kids involved because ultimately they're going to open their lunchbox and either choose to eat it or not. And I'd rather them eat it to have energy and to be able to concentrate and focus in class versus well, I told my mom I did not get eat a sandwich, and I'm still not going to eat a sandwich. You know, so it's it's, it's almost you're you making me feel better food. about today's lunch because today's Good. lunch looks like a charcuterie <laughs> tray. <laughs> That's <laughs> fine. I'm all about that. I actually am. Like I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with it as long as they're going to eat it. Honestly. And so, I, some reader questions in regards to family, friends, and parenting. What are your thoughts on? Parents pointing out children's weight gains and losses to their to their own child. You mean to their own child, or like to their sister, or their father, or their you know child. However, however the dynamic is. So, I guess let me see if I understand this correctly. So, let's say if your sister's child is gaining weight and you're noticing that. No, your sister's gaining weight and you're noticing that, or your child's gaining weight and you're noticing that. That so that's a common question okay. that people are having because. If they're noticing it, what do they do? Okay, great question. Okay, so this one is really, really, really important because this is where the hang-up gets started to, like, kind of go down a disordered path. 
I always tell parents it, to put it on the pediatrician because then you're out of it. Just say, honey, we're going to take you. You haven't had a, a checkup in a while. We're going to take you to the pediatrician. Just make sure all is good. I mean, that's very typical. That doesn't feel like anything's wrong with that, right? Then you call ahead to your pediatrician and you're like, look, I noticed that, you know, whatever. Susie has put on some weight. I feel like she's. And I just don't want, you know, I'm going to prevent anything that can possibly cause, like, you know, diabetes or any health-related issues. And so I want you to be able to have a conversation with her. It depends on the dynamic of the parent and the child. I feel like when parents approach the child, it, again, depends on the kid. But I, it sometimes can go sideways pretty quickly. And then there's this, then they feel watched. Then they feel like they have to sneak eat because now their parent notices that they're gaining weight. And if the child comes to you, that's different. If, if she says or he says, Mom, I feel like I'm gaining weight, like, like my stomach or whatever, that's a conversation. You're like, you know what, honey, and if you're feeling that way, like, let's look at what do you think you could do differently? You know, I've noticed that you've not been as active. Maybe we could just start doing that. Be very gentle. This isn't like, let's send you to a weight loss person. Let's, let's. I think it's the conversation and really listening with compassion that's important. But when you're noticing and they, they don't say anything to you, I always recommend that's a perfect opportunity to have the pediatrician because when the parent, and again, you have to really know your own child if that's the best direction. Some parents can go to their child and say, you know, honey, I've noticed that, you know, your pants have gotten smaller and, and I just want to make sure like, you know, do you see that too? And see, but Again, it's such a uh, that feels got to be so. You know, I mean, that's why I think it's always better when you the pediatrician is is such. That's why I've had most parents who call me and like, look, I've noticed this. I'm like, great. Do you have a good relationship with your pediatrician? Yes, awesome. Talk to them. Have them have that conversation. They can ask the questions of, well, are you having juice or soda? Are you you know? Because when the parent gets involved, I'm telling you, it typically doesn't go well. I know. So what are like some not to's? Like what are things uh, not to say, not to do? Well, there's a lot of not to's for parents. Um, not to. A, never have a scale that's visible in the bathroom. Um, the parents should be very aware of their own body talk and language. Um, if, you know, again, like I think saying, you know, let's say you're, daughter comes to you and says, I want to stop eating sugar, to not be like, oh, honey, that's such a great idea. Let's do that. I think, you know, like, I think encouraging them to be like, well, let's always, let's have a conversation about that versus you've noticed that your daughter starts to, or son, like, cut out things. And I think as parents, there's an idea of, like, I've had many parents that come to me, they're like, God, I wish I would have known. Like, I was praising them for eating healthy and, and calculating their calories. And, you know, I just thought they were being healthy. And that's the problem. You could have two people go on a healthy track. One develops a significant eating disorder and the other one, um, you know, um, is fine. Like loses a few pounds and feels great or changes her lifestyle and feels amazing. But you just want to be really careful of, of that. Um, so do you, do you think that, you know, an eating disorder can occur, occur no matter which way you were raised? That is, it can. There's no, there's no guarantee, right? You can have very normal, you know, healthy parents who are very normal and healthy with food in their bodies, and still have a child who, 
again, and that's why I think Instagram world and school becomes very challenging because they talk about it. That's the reality. That's why for me, I'm all like, the, the parents should talk about it. Like, hey, I mean, you know, if a girl comes home and be like, oh my gosh, so and so's on the side and she lost so much weight, she looks so good. Don't ignore, like, have a conversation. Stop what you're doing. I know we're all busy, but like, those are the moments where, like, well, what do you think about that, honey? Because maybe she's gonna, she's about to jump on board, and you're like, oh, that's great, and you kind of just, you know, don't even think twice. But it's really listening to your kids about, you know, what's going on at school. What are the conversations like? Even if you feel like your daughter or son would be com- that they're totally fine. Um, because it can it can sneak up in ways that you don't even realize if you're not paying attention to those kinds of comments, you know. Um, but yeah, I think that the the dynamic at home just needs to be very open dialogue about that in particular, and watch the way they're dressing. I think that's another sign too. Um, like I've had a lot of girls where moms are like, I didn't even know she started wearing baggy clothes. And I got her in the scale, and she was 10 pounds down, like, in two months from being at the pediatrician's office. And the mom was just like, how did I not notice? And, you know, so I think there are certain things that can go on that you just you just have to kind of know what are the warning signs and just communicating as much as you can. Yeah. And how would you know if some if you're struggling with body dysmorphia? Um, if son or daughter or just yourself? If you in in general, are. for anybody. Well, I think um, that's, a, that's also a big one because I think a lot of people see themselves not as they are because they're comparing themselves to somebody who looks better than them. So they always feel sad or they feel like I'm still not skinny enough because I'm comparing myself to so-and-so or somebody on Instagram. Um, the obsession is really where the danger is when they're looking in the mirror. Like, look, I always tell girls, like, take out of this, go to the shower, you put your clothes on, you go to the next thing. If you're sitting there and examining yourself, like literally spending more than a couple of minutes, you're, you're going down a treacherous road. So body dysmorphia comes from a lack of self-esteem and typically a comparison factor. And um, it's a tough one to get, get through because if they're seeing themselves differently than what is, that obviously there's where the psychological help is needed. So I don't see any client unless they're seeing a therapist. So because it, that, yeah, it's much bigger than that. Right. So in closing, if, if one of our listeners or one of our listeners' loved ones is currently struggling, what is your mm-hmm. recommendation? Like, how do they seek help? If they think I don't have money or I don't know if I have a problem, where do they start? Um, well, there's a lot of, like, I would say the big, um, you know, the help with eating disorder. There's lots of websites. Like, I know that um, all the eating disorder treatment facilities, have websites that you can go on and they have like typical questions and you can they can ask um, certain questions like eating disorder center of california montanito those are big ones um there's a lot of different places here and then you can even just have reach out to you know a specialized dietitian like myself or a therapist and just say can i have a consult like i need to figure out what path i need to do you know because sometimes it is an outpatient setting and sometimes they're at a, a place where they really need more intensified treatment. Um, 
So I guess I would start there. But the pediatrician is such a good fallback. Like a lot of pediatricians will refer to me because that's they they know, you know, typically where to um, to have the parent reach out and and seek help. But that's always a safe place to start because you can kind of see the trends. Like, okay, they've lost a lot of weight, or I've seen pe- kids where their height starts to decrease, and that gets really worrisome. So the pediatrician, I would say, start there. And then if they want to go online and look at some of these treatment facilities, that they, they can help be helpful too, just answering some questions. Ugh, well, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. We really appreciate it. Of course. It. Happy to. Absolutely. Have a good day. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. So, guys, I know we didn't even get through half of the questions that y'all have. So, honestly, please, we want to keep getting these answers to you. Email them to us or DM at Teddy Teapot. If there's something that you feel that we have missed that you want us to cover, we'll get back to you. We'll send you the resources that you need. And, you know, once again, in closing, like what every person here said was comparison. Comparison takes away your joy. Comparison makes you believe something that's not true. So really focus on yourself. Focus on what makes you feel your best. And honestly, the game changer for me was talking to someone, being open, sharing my story, being okay that I'm not perfect. And once I was able to do those things, everything shifted. There will always be weird moments or uncomfortable moments or stressful times where, you know, the, the red flag will be raised but I'm able to talk about it now and I'm able to have a place where I feel safe. And the fact that I can even talk to you guys about it right now, that is helping me heal. So it never goes away, but you're not alone. And you know what? We're here for you. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to Teddy Teapot on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring, well, The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! 
But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.